Alexa, before you guys go, we're not making a stance. We're not changing our name to the Cowboy Church of Madison, okay? That's actually on 151, coming into Madison, if you've ever seen that. But uh, just poor planning, I guess, on our part. We'll have to work through that. But uh, guys, really good to see you. Go ahead and grab your Bible. Open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. We're, we're journeying through this gospel for the better part of a year. And uh, today we find ourselves in, in chapter 19. And, and man, I'm, I'm really excited to, to get into this uh, with you guys today. But by way of introduction, let me, let me say this, okay? Happy, th- happy St. Patrick's Day. I almost said happy Thanksgiving. What is that? But St. Patrick's Day, right? And maybe you're thinking that's like kind of a, a weird transition into a mis- message. But here's what you need to know, guys. Uh, about uh, what our culture is is kind of celebrating by by slamming green beer and pinching each other and just making a bunch of mistakes, right? Is guys, the reality is is that Patrick was a was really a, a really godly man. He was a missionary, in fact. And here's what you need to know about about Patrick, okay? That that our culture just has it wrong, all right? And and we as Christians, we've we've kind of let our culture kind of run with one of one of the great godly men that we have had throughout the history of the church. And what Patrick is, is, is first and foremost, a, a man of God. He, he lived his life to, to honor God. And he grew up in, in Southern Britain. Okay. And as a teenager, what happened is there was a bunch of Irish raiders that came in, they kidnapped him and they took him into slavery in, in Ireland. And he was in slavery for, for six years. And while he was there, he heard the gospel of Jesus. He heard the good news of, of the gospel. He, he was converted to Christianity. He started following Jesus. And in the midst of all that, he, he somehow managed to escape slavery, and he headed back to his, his hometown in, in Britain. And as he did this, he, he felt the, the call to go into ministry and, and be a pastor, a monk, however you want to word it. And so he got formal theological training. And in the midst of all this stuff, Patrick had a dream one night where, where God came to him and basically said, I'm going to send you to the people that enslaved you. And I'm going to send you there with the gospel as a missionary so those people who treated you so poorly can be in the kingdom with you by coming to Jesus. And Patrick, unlike many people, right, he had his yes on the table, right? And as a Christian, we, we talk about that. This should be our posture too, that we, when God comes to us and says something, we say anything, anytime, anywhere. And Patrick, that was his posture. And so he went and he went back to Ireland that was full of just paganism and, and idol worship. And in just a few short decades, guys, thousands upon thousands of people said yes to Jesus and started following him. And then in the midst of all that, guys, just two decades after Patrick showed up there with the gospel, the church in Ireland was just flourishing. And I, and I love this, that one of the, the things that has been said about St. Patrick, and I quote, is that he was a man that was soaked in the Bible. And we talk about being a, a, a gospel-saturated, a Bible-saturated family. This is one of our goals, but we're people of the Bible. This is all, we're broken people that have a great God, and we hold this book in our hand to figure out life. And this was, this was Patrick, all right? Now, now here, why do I say this, okay? I'm going to make a, a bridge now to where we're at in Luke chapter 19, okay? In much the same way, guys, that Patrick walked into Ireland with the gospel message of Jesus, What we're going to see today in Luke's gospel in chapter 19 is Jesus walking into Jerusalem with the great message of the gospel that's about himself. All right, that we've been talking about this since since Luke chapter 9, verse 51, which is the big turning point 
in, in Luke's gospel, the hinge, if you will. It says that Jesus set his eyes towards Jerusalem. And since Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus has been on the road. He's been walking towards Jerusalem. He's been walking towards his death to ultimately die for our sin as our Savior. And as he's been walking, we're, we're learning what it takes to be on the road with Jesus. But as we've been journeying through this throughout the weeks, here's the day, Luke chapter 19, he finally gets to his destination. And he arrives in Jerusalem and he arrives with the good news that the gospel is for all people. We, we talked about this as we launched this series, that for Luke, one of the big things that he's trying to get across is that the gospel is really, really good news. And it's not just really, really good news for good people because there's no such thing as a good person. We're all broken. There's one good person and his name is Jesus. But the gospel, Jesus, is good news for every single person, all people. And this is what we're going to see today. All right? And today's passage has been come to be known as, as the Palm Sunday account, which really just marks the last week of Jesus' earthly life. All right? and, and really, when you read the Bible, specifically the four Gospels, so you consider Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you read these, these books, they're about Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And all four Gospels devote a good deal of time to this last week of Jesus' life. And what we're going to do is we're just going to do the same here at Doxa. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to give the next, what is it, four or five weeks before Easter, looking at this last week of, of Jesus' life. Because, guys, I want you to hear this. Everything that Jesus has done and everything that Jesus has said up until this point has been in preparation for what we're going to study in Luke's gospel as we get to Easter. All right, and so although Palm Sunday is officially celebrated the week before Easter, we reach it today in our text. And so Luke chapter 19 is where we're at. We're going to start in verse 28. If you don't have a Bible and you're visiting, guys, we'd love to give you one. You can stop at the welcome table. This is what we do. We just gather around the Bible. We seek to hear from Jesus and ask him for the courage and the strength to walk out of here and actually apply what we read. So Luke chapter 19, verse 28 is where we'll start. This is what we see. And when he had said these things, okay, so pause just for a second. I'm not going to do this every couple of words, okay? But Jesus has just been talking about leveraging your life and leveraging your life in terms of time, talent, and treasure, all right? And so when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany, these are just two small towns, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. I just lost my, I was so excited, I just lost my spot. There we go. Where on entering, you will find a colt tied, which one has never yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. I want you to circle that in your Bible. The Lord has need of it. All right, so those who were sent away and found it is just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. All right, this is a big thing. So here's what's going on, okay, guys? Jesus had just come from a town named Jericho, which is really close to, to Jerusalem. And as he's walking, all right, he, he stops. And he tells his disciples to go ahead of him and get a donkey for him to ride in as he goes into Jerusalem. And this could be one of those times in the Bible that you read past and you're just like, this is just really obscure, kind of random. I don't know why he's got a thing with donkeys, right? But whatever. But I want you to know that there are some really significant things to, to be learned here in terms of a donkey, okay? The first is this, all right? As Jesus and his disciples are, are talking about this, the disciples go and they look for a donkey and they see a guy who, who happens to have one. They go up to him and they say, hey, we need your donkey. And if you had a donkey, you'd probably ask the same question, why do you need my donkey? And what do they say? 
Right. And if you guys, guys, if you've been around Doxa at any time, amount of time, you know that most every question you can just, that I ask, you can respond with Jesus and you're probably going to be right. Okay. That we just talk about that a lot. But here's the thing. It's not that Jesus just needs it. But if you look what they say, they say the Lord, the Lord needs it. So I'll ask you the question, okay, who is Jesus? Guys, he's the Lord. And this is so important, guys. We, we can't skate past this too quickly because throughout the Bible, there's different names and different titles given to Jesus. He's called rabbi. He's called good teacher. He's called Lord and king and prince and friend and shepherd and savior. A lot of different names, a lot of different titles. And what many people tend to do is, is as we read the Bible, some of us do it kind of unintentionally, others of us do it intentionally, is we, we see a name for Jesus that we, we kind of grab hold of. And this becomes the, the lens, the glasses, if you will, that you see Jesus through. And when we do that, guys, I just want you to know that when we, when we just hone on on one name given to Jesus, we really miss out on who Jesus really, really is. And so for some of us, you know, maybe you'd say, Jesus is my friend, right? And, and, and that's the extent of, of your knowledge and your understanding of who Jesus is. And when this happens, this is what you end up getting. This is how you think about Jesus, right? You guys have seen this? The Jesus is my homeboy thing? Like, yeah, like the Fonzie thing? I don't know, right? But this is what happens. And, and we, we see this and it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. I have one of those bobbleheads on my dashboard, right? But what this is, guys, is this is a result of a terrible Christology, which is driven by really, really messed up theology. It's a very malnourished understanding of who Jesus is. So yes, Jesus is our friend, but he's not just homeboy Jesus, that there's something more. And many people in our world, maybe even some of you, you'll say, yeah, Jesus is my friend. He's a friend of sinners. I really like that. But he's not Lord. He's not God. But the truth is, is he's all of that. He is Lord. Some of you, you think, I'm oh, just making sure that's off. Some of you, you think that, that Jesus is, is just a great teacher, which of course he is. He's rabbi, he's teacher. But you see him, you see him as a, as a great moral example for you to follow. You see him as a, as a good man, but you don't see him as, as the God man. But you need to know that, that yes, he, he is good, but in his goodness, he's actually God. He's Lord. And guys, I say all this to say that the shortest declaration of what we believe about Jesus here at Doxa and what you should believe about Jesus as a Christian, and I want you to write this down, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is it. And, and maybe you've, you've heard people say this. Maybe you, you've said this. The question that I have to ask you, the question that I have to ask myself as I've been preparing this and studying through this is what does that actually mean? Do you know what it means that Jesus is Lord? Because guys, if we understand that Jesus is Lord, this will literally change everything about your life. It'll change the way that you view God. It'll change the way that you view yourself. It'll change the way that you view everybody around you. It will literally give you a new perspective on the world that you walk through every single day. Jesus is Lord. It is a big topic. And so it being so big, I want to give you four things about Jesus, four implications of, of Jesus being Lord. And number one is this, and write this down because you guys can talk about this at Connection Group this week. But the first thing, Jesus is Lord means that he is the only one that we worship. So if we say that Jesus is in fact Lord, we sing a song and say he is my Lord, it means that he is the only one that you worship. And to worship literally means to, to give your life to something. It means to ascribe worth or value to something or, or someone. 
If Jesus is our Lord, he's the only one that we worship. He's the only one that we ascribe unsurpassing value and worth to and we give our lives to. And I, and I want you to know this, guys. The truth is we all give our lives to something. Every single one of us. You're all worshiping something. You, you've given your, your time, your talents, your treasure to, to something or someone. And in some of you, you've, you've given your lives to, to really, really good things. But have you given your life to the, to the greatest thing, the greatest someone, Jesus? Because for, for some of us guys, you know, we live in a, in a city like Madison that's, you know, we're surrounded by like social justice initiatives and activists and all this stuff, right? And in some of us, we, we, you can give your life to, to so many good endeavors. Some of you, you give your life to your career. Some of you, you give your life to, to social justice type issues. Some of you, you, you give your life for your passions and your desires and whatever. Because I want you to know this. If you sit here and say, Jesus is Lord, that means that he comes first in your life above everything. And that's one of those things that we can easily say it's a really difficult thing to actually live and stay in check with that. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks with idolatry. What is elevated above Jesus? He's Lord. Number two, Jesus is Lord means he is the one that we follow. This means that we, we look to Jesus. We look at his words, his works, and his ways as we see throughout the Gospels. And this is why it's so important to read our Bibles. This is why we seek to be a Bible-saturated family, because we cannot follow someone that we don't know. And you get in the Bible, and you allow God to teach you, and you see Jesus. And then what we do is we seek to model our lives after him as we watch how he interacts with people, how he speaks to people, how he loves people. And we pattern our life after him. Now, none of us are perfect at that. Some of you, maybe you're, you're like, you're not a Christian. You're kind of looking in on a group of Christians and you're like, you don't do that at all. It's because we're all like recovering hypocrites. We're broken and we're sinful, but we have a great God who's allowing us to become more and more like Jesus every single day. This is our goal. We look to Jesus and we follow him. And so very practically, you know, we look through Luke's gospel and he talks about caring for the poor. We watch him do this. And what do we do? We go and do it just like he did. We see Jesus being generous, giving his life. He, we hear him tell us to be generous and to give. And so we do it. We follow him. We see Jesus talk about baptism and how he goes and he's baptized. And he says, hey, you should be baptized and show the world around you. And we simply just, we act in obedience and say, okay, I'm going to follow you and do what you do and do what you say. Some of you, you've been looking at this. I've heard it said that the easiest thing for, that Jesus ever told us to do was to get wet and to get baptized and just show our obedience and what we're doing with our life. And some of you, you've been watching this and, and you haven't, you've, we've had a couple baptism celebrations. It's been awesome. And, and you've, you've watched it and, and you've been thinking, and I've talked to some of you. I know this is happening. You're like, man, I should, I feel like I should have done that. Not doing it. Right? We do this. We follow Jesus. He's Lord. We're having another baptism in, in, on Easter Sunday, and it's going to be a great proclamation that Jesus is alive and well, and he's doing things in people's lives. We do it, and we follow Jesus because he did it. Number three, Jesus is Lord's, Lord means that his words are the most important. 
And guys, you know this, right? We, we live in a world, right? I mean, you go to bookstores, you go on Amazon, thousands, hundreds of thousands of books, million, I don't even know how many books there are. So many books, so many words by so many different people that are just surrounding us that we hear every single day. I talked to some of the college students in Salt Company and they just had them over our house for our connection group and it was a really cool moment, but they were even talking about like, I, I come to Doxa and I go to Salt Company and I hear the Bible taught and I understand what Jesus is saying, but then I sit through my classes and my professors tell me the opposite thing. What am I to do with it? It is really, really difficult. And guys, it is. But the fact that Jesus is Lord, it means that his voice is louder than every single voice in this world. He, his voice is the one that we follow. He's our ultimate source of authority. And again, guys, this is such a thing that Christians can say, oh yeah, that makes sense, I'll do it. But this affects everything. It affects us socially, politically, personally, the way that you feel about issues, the way that you feel about policies. It's not about a political party and, the, and a good, gifted communicator. It's about Jesus. It's about the word of God informing us how we live our lives. He's Lord. And finally, fourth, Jesus is Lord means he's the only one we trust for salvation. And let me explain this a little bit, okay? That Jesus, guys, is the only true way to God. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel that we preach. This is the gospel that we stand on. This is the gospel that drives everything that's part of our church. And the gospel, guys, is this, is that there is one God. And he's the creator of everything. And he's created you. He's created me. He's created all people in his image, which means that you've never locked eyes with someone that does not mean a significant amount to God. That every single person, born or unborn, has dignity, value, worth, and purpose. And he made, he made all of those people to worship to be in relationship with him. But guys, in the midst of that, we didn't choose God, we chose sin. And we see this when we rewind to Genesis chapters one through three. Every single one of us, we, we choose sin over God. And as a result, the very nature of sin is that sin separates. Sin is anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And sin has separated us from God. And this is where we live without Jesus. And in many ways, Humanity, you and I, guys, we, we live out the foolish myth that in some degree that we are our own God. And so we decide what's right and wrong. We decide what's true and false. And we live as though we are, in fact, God. Some of you, you're living like that and you decide what is true. You're, you know, it's like Thomas Jefferson kind of had this posture. He would go through the Bible and he would cut out sections of the Bible that he didn't agree with. Some of us, we, we live our lives like that. In the midst of this, here's what you need to know. In the midst of our rebellion and our sin and our brokenness, God... This loving God, he breaks into human history as the man Jesus Christ. He lives a perfect life that I couldn't live. He dies a death that I should have died. And on the cross, he substitutes himself for me, a messed up, broken, sinful man. That in the garden, Adam and Eve, they substituted themselves for God, but on the cross, and through the resurrection, Jesus reversed that substitution, becoming a substitute for every single one of us. Broken, just messed up people. That's the good news. It's for all people, guys. And I know in a room this size, not all of you believe that. Not all of you see Jesus like that. And if that's you, I know, just know this, okay? I'm grateful that you're here. 
It's one of my highest honors to teach you the Bible. But the good news for you today is this, is that the thing that has brought you here today, the thing that continues to bring you here week after week is not a thing but a person, and his name is Jesus. And he's brought you here to break into your life, to show you something of yourself, to show you something of himself, to give you a beautiful, hopeful eternity with him. He's brought you here to bring you to God. And I speak for the rest of the elders and the staff and the leaders of this church as everything we do is so that you could hear that message and say yes to Jesus. This is the only reason we came to Madison. He's God. Now, this is so incredibly important, especially in our world today. Because many people, and maybe even some of you, have wrongly heard or taught and said that, that Jesus never said or presented himself to be God. Maybe you've heard that. You know, that someone's like, I've read the Bible and Jesus actually never said he was God. Because I'll just tell you this, it's, that's like very poor scholarship, okay? Like Lily might be able to come up with that, my four-year-old, but no one that can actually read, okay? Because Jesus most certainly did. That was harsh. I don't know what, I, that was bad. Okay? Wow. Jesus, I'm so sorry. But it is true, okay? Because the fact is, guys, you read the Bible, and we see that Jesus did this. He did it in two ways. He showed it. I can talk a lot. Oh, there we go. But he would say it, that he was God, and then he would show it. And on this occasion, in Luke 19, Jesus says it. He says, I am the Lord. And then he shows it by saying, go get me a donkey. And you're like, okay, you just made a leap there. I, don't, I got the first one. Where did you get the donkey? Not sure what that means, right? But here's what it is, guys. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Zechariah. And Zechariah, he prophesied. It's going to come up here on the screen. You can take a look at this. And here's what Zechariah said. He said, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. What is Jesus on? He's on a donkey. He's riding into Jerusalem. And so this prophecy that was given hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, it gave the people hope. That as the prophet Zechariah spoke, it gave people hope as they waited for their king to come into their city. And Zechariah said, you will know when the king has come to save you. You will know when, when everything is coming together, when he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so Jesus, here in this passage, he's presenting himself. He's saying, I am God. I am the Lord. And then he shows that I am the Lord by entering into Jerusalem on this donkey as a fulfillment of prophecy. And, the, and guys, if you put yourself in the, in the position of these people, you just got to imagine this. These people are just watching this go down. They most certainly knew the Old Testament. They most certainly knew the, the prophecies. They, they understood that this was true. And they're watching Jesus. And they're watching this, stuff, this scene go down. And they're like, hey, who is that guy? Oh, that's Jesus. Wait, what is he riding on? Oh, my gosh, that's a, don that's a donkey. Guys, the day is today. And these people, they're connecting the dots and they're realizing that day. The king is here and he's riding in. Guys, there's anticipation. 
And there's excitement welling up because the king has arrived in Jerusalem to save his people. And you need to know right now that Jesus is here. That through his word, he has just ridden into every single one of your lives and presented himself as king, lord, and savior. Now let's keep going. Verse 35. And they brought the donkey to Jesus and throwing the cloaks on, their, on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near already on the road down to the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, and I want you to underline this next part, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, if I, te I, I tell you, if, I were if they were silent, the stones would cry out. And so Jesus, he got a donkey, he's riding into Jerusalem. He's showing himself to be God among us. And we see something kind of strange happen, okay? This wasn't like a fully loaded donkey. It didn't come with a saddle, okay? So what do they do? The disciples take off their cloaks and they start laying it on Jesus to give him a good seat. And not only that, but they start laying it on the ground in front of him, almost like a, a royal carpet unrolling so a, a king would walk on this royal carpet. And this is actually, this again, this is one of those things that you're like, I don't understand. This must be like a customary thing, not a really big deal. But guys, this is very significant because in these days, your cloak was, was really, really important to you. All right, it, would, it, would, it was kind of like a big jacket that would keep you warm and protected from the elements when you were traveling, but it would oftentimes be doubled as a blanket to keep you warm at night. And so it was a really important thing that you would own. All right, you, you needed it. But what do we see here? Right, the disciples just kind of take it off and just give it. Right, they, they, they take their valued possession and they make a seat for Jesus and then they laid it down on a road as a symbol of honor and worship for their king. And in doing this, guys, we see that they, they cared very little about their possessions, but they cared most of all about their worship and letting everyone see their king that was riding into Jerusalem. Now, guys, I want you to see this for what it really is. All right, this is a lot of different things, but I would say to you and submit to you that, that this is like a crazy act of, of generosity from a heart of worship. The disciples, they, they take their stuff, the thing that was valuable, knowing that it was expensive, knowing that, you know, they didn't have money, knowing that they might not get it back and they might not be able to get a new one right away and they just give it to Jesus so that he would be able to ride into the city and that everyone there, I want you to hear this, that everyone there would see that he is God and King, that their generosity, guys, their generosity was fueled by worship and mission. This is what led them to do. They love Jesus and they love people. And that's what ultimately led them to do this. This is the two great commandments that Jesus gives. Remember, weeks ago, we talk about this. Jesus, he's confronted and they, he, they ask him, what are, the, what are the two greatest commandments? What does Jesus say? Love God, love people. These people got it. His disciples were, were finally connecting the dots and they were saying, okay, I, I love Jesus and I love their people. But I, wanna, I want everybody to know this, that the king is coming. And they did this. And guys, if there's two things that we have to be about, it's Jesus and people. People meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This is what we're about. But these disciples, we, we see that they loved Jesus. They loved people and they gave generously to honor Jesus in the hopes that other people would see him and meet him and know him. This is what's happening. So this begs the question, 
Guys, do you have that mindset? I mean, what happens here, guys, should make us ask the question, do I love Jesus and people like that? That would cause me to live in a certain way, to honor him in the hopes that someone would meet him. Do we have that? I mean, think about it. What do you treasure? For many of us, it's, it's our money, our stuff, your career, your relationship, whatever. And I ask yourself, like, what you treasure and what you hold most dear, would you throw it to the ground to honor Jesus with the hopes that people would meet Jesus? The disciples here say, yes, he's my Lord. I'm going to do everything for Jesus. I'm going to do everything so people can meet Jesus because the gospel of Jesus is good news for all people. So we have to help people meet him. They say yes. And the disciples, they start this gesture and then it just catches on. The people around them start doing it too. And they weren't concerned with their possessions. They were concerned with praise. They didn't care what they gave up. They cared what they were receiving through Jesus. And so this scene, guys, there's, there's a multitude of people there potentially thousands of people throwing down their coats and praising Jesus. It's crazy. In verse 38, this is what they're yelling. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now what these people are doing, guys, is they're, they're singing a song. Next to your Bible in that verse, I want you to write Psalm 118.26. These people are singing a psalm that was historically sung when a king would go out to war and come back victorious. And so in these days, the king would head out, he would fight an, a battle for his people, and when he would come back victorious, all these people in the town would come out and surround the king, and they would sing this, and they would say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is what is happening with Jesus right now. He's riding into Jerusalem, and he's gonna conquer sin, death, and hell, and he's gonna deliver people from the grip of death that sin causes. He's giving victory. And even more, as we see this, guys, in, in John's gospel, in addition to singing this worship song, right, they're, they're waving palm branches, right? We, and this is where we get Palm Sunday from. It's a symbol of triumph and victory in Greco-Roman culture. And so they're singing these songs. They're, they're waving palm branches ultimately to show that Jesus is going to be victorious. He's riding in as the king that is making a way for us all to have salvation. And even when we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says that people from every nation will raise up palm branches as a symbol of the victory that Jesus brings us. And we see this in just a few days from this account when Jesus will be crucified, buried, but ultimately raised back to life. Guys, and I want you to know that this can bring you great comfort if Jesus is your Lord. Because if Jesus is your Lord, we are the most free people. We should be the most joyful people. We still go through stuff. We still struggle through life like every single person. But we have this unwavering security and hope knowing that if Jesus is Lord, that we have victory over sin and death. This is it, because this is why, you know, you see people sing worship songs, and you're like, wow, they're kind of freaky. They have their hands in the air. They're waving around. Their hips are going a little too fast, whatever, you know? It's like, why are they doing that? They understand that Jesus is Lord, and I have victory. Now, on the other side of the coin, you also need to know that if Jesus is not your Lord, 
and you haven't put your faith in him, that you don't have victory over sin and death. And the Bible talks about us in that state as being enemies of God. And it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because that God doesn't love all types of people. It's because of your sin. Your sin has been unreconciled. And it separates us from God. But if I can encourage you at all today, God, stop waiting and see your king. This is what this text is all about. That Jesus has just ridden into your life today and he's presented himself as your victory, as your king. And he wants to give you that. But he's waiting for your response. And this can bring you confidence, joy in life, guys. It's a beautiful thing. What we've been created for. Now, this section. and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is going to be hard for me because I talk with my hands quite a bit, okay? But here's what's happening, guys. God has come to the people as the man Jesus Christ. And some people have closed their eyes, spiritually speaking, and said, we don't see him. He's not Lord. And Jesus looks at these people and he literally weeps over the city and all the people who have closed their eyes and refused to let them, let him be their victory. And guys, Jesus, he, he weeps as he sees these people. Because, guys, consider this. The crowd there was yelling, and they were singing this worship song. But Jesus, as he looked at Jerusalem, he knew many people were closing their eyes to him. They didn't accept him as Lord. And even more, he saw the spiritual nature of these people, and that many of these people that were singing this worship song, a couple days later, were going to be singing out, crucify him. They didn't have true faith. In Jesus, they were just caught up in the hype, and they didn't really see, know, or love, or follow Jesus. And the scary part is that some of us here, some of you, are maybe in that spot. You're, you're caught up in it. Your family is all about Jesus, right? Your, your friends are all about Jesus. You, you come to a church, and, and, you, and you have this experience, and you're like, you somehow, it begins to, it's a really scary place to be at, because you begin to think, okay, I'm surrounded by Christians and I have a Bible in my house, and it's a part of my weekly rhythm to go to connection group and all this stuff, but you're missing on the point that Jesus is not Lord. And these people that Jesus saw, he saw that, and he weeps. He cries because he says they don't get it. And it's interesting, guys. Jesus doesn't cry that often. To my knowledge, there's only two places that Jesus cries. Here and then Luke, or John chapter 11, when his friend Lazarus dies. Right? And if so, Jesus cries twice, and, and his friend Lazarus dies. Quick fun fact John 11.35, shortest verse in the Bible. It's the first step of us being in a Bible saturated church. Memorize that, all right? Jesus wept. Literally, two words. You guys got this, okay? But Jesus cries, and then he cries here, two times. And here's what you need to know, guys the things that break the heart of God 
and make Jesus weep should break our hearts and make us weep. That if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we should have the heart of God and we should weep for what breaks the heart of God. Practically speaking, in our world today, right, we just had this big mosque shooting, right, in New Zealand. And you look at that, if you're indifferent to that, I mean, it says something about your heart. We should see that. And it's not just like, oh, you know, it's a bunch of people that aren't like me. And so I'm not really too concerned about it. No, you look at those people and you understand that Jesus loves those people. He died for those people. And that breaks his heart because it's evil and it's sinful and it's not how things are supposed to be. And the things that break the heart of God should break our heart. We look at the racial tension and the injustice in our culture, in our society, in our city today. And it's disgusting. It's antithetical to the gospel that we look at that and we know that that breaks the heart of God because it's not the way that it should be. We look at the policies that are, that are killing unborn children and, and, and it, it's just, it should wreck you because it breaks the heart of God and it should break our hearts and it should move us to do something. And as Jesus is looking at Jerusalem, as he's riding in, he's presenting himself to be Lord and King. He sees these people that don't acknowledge the fact that he's God. They've closed their eyes to him. And he weeps. And he still weeps over people who close their eyes to him today. And it's my prayer, guys, that today that every single one of us here would open our eyes to Jesus and find victory over the sin in our life. That Jesus, guys, has ridden into your life as king today. Some of you for the first time, some of this has happens every single weekend. He's presented himself as victor to give you a way to have victory over the sin in your life that separates you from God in eternity with him. But you have to ask the question, and I'll ask you this, guys. What are you going to do with this king? That's the question. And I want you to know that there's really only two options that you have when it comes to King Jesus. Number one, you either close your eyes to him and refuse him as Lord, or number two, you open your eyes and accept him as Lord. Those are the only two options that you have today. And it's my hope and prayer that you would just come to Jesus. I believe that there's those times, guys, God brings us to places to hear the message of Jesus, that we would respond. And I have been praying that if it's you and you're sitting here and you're like, I have not responded to Jesus and he is not my Lord, that you would do that today. This is what it's all about. And I'm going to invite you to do that as we close and, and worship and celebrate him as king and victor. But if you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I, I, I think I need forgiveness. I'm not sure really where I stand, if he's my Lord or not. Don't let this moment pass. Jesus says in Mark 1.15 when he comes on the scene, well, what do you do? He says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. To repent literally means to change our mindset, to change the way that we think about God, to change the way that we think about sin, to change the way that we think about ourselves. And we acknowledge the fact as we repent that I'm sinful and I need a savior. And we turn to Jesus and we start to follow him and we believe the gospel. This is how you do it. And so I'll close with, with this, guys. For those of you who aren't Christians, Jesus can give you victory today, and he wants that for you. Please, don't close your eyes. Don't refuse him as Lord. You need to know that the Bible says that when you cry out to God, he will meet you there. 
and he will save you. He will give you that victory. For those of you who are Christians, this applies to you. We need to repent. There's stuff in your life. There's sin in your life. There's hidden stuff that you keep in the dark recesses of your life that is keeping you from fully experiencing and following Jesus. And Jesus has ridden in and says, you don't need to hide that. Bring it to the light and let me give you victory. Let me empower you by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that sin and to walk like Jesus. And so we repent. This is where we're at, guys. I'm grateful to be with you guys today. I'm honored to, to be your pastor and friend. And I'm so excited for what God is doing in this church and with us and in us and through us. Let's get this right. Jesus is king. He's Lord. Let's throw it all down and follow him.